Let's put our hands together for the Lord, for the true worshippers. Always amazing. Okay, I want to welcome everybody to Thrive this evening um, in our makeshift arrangement, different from the main church uh, because of the works being done in the main church. But it's the same God. God is present here and the same way he's always taught us himself. He will teach us this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you are new to Thrive, like Pastor would say, um, it's an um, interactive session, so everybody is um, expected to participate one way or another. If you do not um, have a trifold, uh, mine is over there. The resource stand should have... The resource stand is here, right? Somewhere, yeah, over there. Yeah, over there. They will have you um, a folder for you. Um, we usually will keep our outlines, and like Pastor has said many times, who knows, maybe someday your children can refer to all these... Um, notes that we've handed out here and probably write a book um, with the legacy that their father has left behind for them. Amen. Okay. Um, today's um, uh, teaching or message is um, something that bothers, um, bothers on our everyday life. Basically, when we get something and then we find out that we either lost it or it's um, reduced in its potency. Um, frankly, I get tired when I hear people, I mean, in all humility, I get tired when I hear people say, you know, that message that pastor preaches was very powerful, you know, amazing message. Or, you know, even after sometimes when, you know, we are still students under training, when we take drive and someone comes to me and says, powerful message, yeah, you know, or, or great message. I, I honestly, my reaction is, oh yeah, so what have you done with the message? Or what are you going to do with the message? It's not uh, uh, a reaction of pride. It's something that I will also ask myself after I take in a, a powerful message or a great message, like, or an amazing message. Um, not being judgmental, I will ask myself, how have I applied that message? Or how am I applying that message? And like um, um, Reverend Doctor, that's a pastor at Desuti, yes, that was with us a few weeks, said, what is your conversion rate as regards that message? So um, for me, it's like getting a new car or a new couple in marriage, but without deliberately maintaining that car or taking steps to nurture that marriage, all the excitement and all the buzz of that marriage would eventually die down or, or wear off in no time. So the God, the God who did it again service was powerful. Shout hallelujah. You know, we all believe that um, um, we've received the power to become. I like it. We're all excited. Um, last weekend as well, Pastor Bemigo, Pastor Bemigo also, you know, stirred up, you know, gave us a provoking message. But the question is, okay, what next? Have we gone back to our normal quiet lives or the status quo? Or are we really doing things differently? So, like we said, uh, this is, if you're new to Tribe, this is an interactive session. And 
if you fail to participate, we have the autonomy of picking you up to tell you to say something. So, um, to our outline, the first question to you and I is, what does a powerful message really do for you? What does a powerful message do for you? And how do you respond to a powerful message, in quotes? So, are you experiencing some changes in your life already? You know, or changes in life of people around you as a result of them interacting with you. So who wants to go first? What does a powerful message do for you? Anybody? What does a powerful message do for you? Like you've got to do the digging service, power to become, the build up to the God of digging service, you know, step up. What does, what does it do to you or what does it do for you? Anyone? Volunteer to be vulnerable? Machine, your own. Okay, there's a hand over here, please. Thank you, Ma, for sharing. Praise God. Hallelujah. Um, for me, um, a powerful message would do um, so many things, but um, a powerful message could reveal to me. Um, the rema of the word of God. It could be like, I must have read that particular scripture so many times, but I didn't see it in that light. And it touched me in particular. Or something in particular that I've been believing God for. And then it brings illumination. It brings um, clarity. And sometimes there are some messages that, what I regard as powerful, I hear the message and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to go home this night and lock myself up and pray until something happens, you know. So it brings illumination, encouragement, motivation, increases your love for God. A lot of things. Praise God. Thank you very much. So she nailed it on the head. Anyway, okay. Pastor G. Oh, no. Okay, I thought Pastor G was putting up his hand. He was trying to give me... Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay, but I mean, she, she nailed it. She nailed it. Okay. Let's hear. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, for me, powerful messages, um, they bless me. Sometimes they could make me break down and want to cry, um, it encourages me, it humbles me, it enlightens me, it makes me repent, and sometimes it makes me feel like I want to go to heaven now. It makes her feel like she wants to go to heaven now. <laughs> okay, Pastor <that's> okay. <laughs> hmm. So next time a powerful message is taught, I'll look out for you and be sure you're not raptured. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, for me, a powerful message is um, a message that I would hear, and it will provide answers to something that been, the questions that I've had in my mind. And, yeah, you know, you walk into church, you have those questions, you're confused, you don't know, and you enter into church or whatever, you hear the message, and it just nails it. So the next thing is, how do I respond? Since I now have an answer, so the question, I just go and 
act. Apply. Praise Apply. God. Hallelujah. So not only do you, you're not expected to just hear a powerful message. Like the word tells us, you need to apply the powerful message for you to actually see um, dividends. So the powerful message revitalizes us. Like we come to Tribe, you know. If I was talking about Tribe, I usually would use one word, but I've taken it to two words. I say refreshing, but now I say totally refreshing. So again, you can add impactful you know, rejuvenating, invigorating, you know, revitalizing, all these words. But most importantly, we need to apply our powerful messages. So for weeks, Pastor has taken us on the Daniel series, and I hope he returns soon to continue in that series. I'm not sure it's come to an end because he didn't, you know, like he says, land the plane. I don't think he landed the plane. Or did he? Maybe I missed something. So when he comes back... Um, it will continue in that Daniel series because there's a lot to take from Daniel's life amongst, you know, I mean, amongst other things that I have taken so far. One thing just strikes me about this man called Daniel and it's the fact that Daniel remained relevant despite the changes in regime and in seasons. And there's a secret that about Daniel's relevance that I can see readily from the scripture. And I believe is because Daniel never let go of his advantage. Daniel gained an advantage right from the word go, and he held on to that advantage despite the regimes that he had to endure. He was consistent. He got it right from the beginning, and was consistent even to the very end. So if I was to say, talk about Daniel, I would say Daniel preserved his spiritual gains, and that is exactly what we're talking about today, how to preserve our spiritual gains. Daniel preserved his spiritual gains. He held on to his advantage and he used it from the word go. I think they were in captivity for 70 years. So if, if Daniel was there for, let's say, 60 something of those years, I don't know if he was taken immediately. Then Daniel actually used the same advantage for 70 years or close to 70 years. So the word of the Lord tells us in Daniel 6, verse 10. I expect the scriptures to be on the screen. Yes, they're all on the screen. If they're not on the screen, I'll read it anyway. Daniel 6 verse 10 says, But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. So the same thing that he had always done right from the beginning you found Daniel still doing it because at the time this account was given in Daniel 6, this was towards the end. You know, the, the, the book of Daniel is not in the chronological order. I hope we know that. You can rearrange it in the chrono chronological order, but the book is not arranged according to as the events were. The prophecies and the visions he saw were in different parts of the book, but from verse, um, chapter 1 to 4 actually tells you more of an order. The book is not really arranged in a chronological order, but I won't go into that tonight. But what, what, I can what I learned from this is the fact that this happened sometime in 534, 538 to 34 um, BC under the reign of, um, I think it was um, Darius. But Daniel was still applying the same principle he had applied right from the beginning. So it's been said that Daniel survived at least seven kids, kings. Five, five of them are mentioned in the scriptures, but if you read Kings, 
first and second kings and some parts of chronicles, you find out that there are kings that were not mentioned, like even Merodach that took away Jehoiakim during the time that he overthrew um, the Israelites. Daniel was already in Babylon. And there was this guy called Negel Sharaza as well. He's not mentioned. So Daniel survived all those kings up until the, the kingdom of um, the Persians and the Medes. But he was still applying the same principle. And God saw those principles. The principles of reverence. And God honored those principles. So the word of the Lord tells us in Jude 1 verse 24. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. So God kept Daniel without a single fault. Even though at this point men were already accusing Daniel, which we'll go into, but God kept Daniel. He kept him blameless without a single fault. So um, I remember about... Um, Three weeks ago now, it was during the, the video night. Um, so one of the mornings, of course, you know, in the morning, you're a bit exhausted. Um, so I decided to stay back home. My wife had gone to work. So it was during the time when she needed to pick the kids back from school. So this should have been about, um, say, one thirty. She called me. We spoke. We just for a bit. And she said she's on her way to go get them from work. And by 3 o'clock, I've not heard anything from her, and I called her. And she told me she was still on a Wollower Road. So it was one of those times when there was a terrible queue with the scarcity. And I was, I was, at that time, I was worried because if, when she tells me she's not moved from one position for a long time, I know that it's one of those traffic that I mean, you could go really terrible. You could be there for hours. And I know the children have to get home after a period of time. So when she got off the phone, you know, she was, you know, not happy about it. I too didn't show. I wasn't really happy, but as concerned as I got off the phone, I said a prayer to God like this. I said to God, uh, God, I believe that you can clear the traffic just because of Bissola to get home and pick the kids. Then when I was saying that prayer, something inside of me said, do you really believe it? And I said, no, no, no. I, I closed my eyes and I said the prayer again. I said, God, I really trust you to clear the traffic for her to leave her wall or road. I was using specifics and go pick up the children and come home. And I, I got up. But guess what? Less than a few minutes later, I found myself in the bathroom. Then I found myself outside the bathroom. I'm dressing up. And I'm in front of the door. And wearing my shoe, plan B, affected already. And I was wearing this shoe. The Holy Spirit reminded me, hey, boy, I thought you said you believed that prayer. Like, oh, really? I prayed and I believed it. And I called her. Guess what? She was a lucky face one. So the moment I prayed that prayer, God actually honored that prayer. But my brain is already programmed for a plan B. So immediately I went into plan B, just in case God, <laughs> you know, this God that does not answer prayer sometimes, just in case. But I mean, I mean that's just the same way it is, for preserving spiritual gains. And I'm just going to do something. I thought I would have the lapel, but I'll do it real quick. Just watch. Is Richard Obama. I'm not using anybody. It's Richard Obama. And these are the other people that came for the GWDIA or something. So that guy received the power to become however you see it is um is 
I know you say that is half empty, but I see it as it's half full. And this guy is very full. I might as well sip some. Okay. So, these three guys came and interacted with the word of God. You call this guy half empty, but I call him half full. This guy is practically full with the word of God. And this guy is full as well. But notice, this guy is leaking. So, if I don't tip that thing over, we'll visit that guy again before the end of this teaching. But I want you to keep that at the back of your mind. So when we come and we interact with a powerful service, this happens to different categories of people. Some of them are very full, just like this guy is very full. But some of them are half full, even though you call it half empty. I don't really mind about that guy because I know that with time, that guy can get a little bit more and be full. What I may be concerned about is what I'm seeing here, which is what I felt happened to me on that day. I put it in the bowl, not like there's a magic under that bowl. I put it in the bowl so that we don't mess up the, the entire floor here. Okay. So, what are the obvious channels of leakage to spiritual gains? Now that we know that we can actually come to a powerful service and get so much, what are the obvious channels by which we could leak out all this, this so much that we have gotten? So, I, I put some scriptures there. I'd like CMM to please give us the scriptures. Um, Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Actually, thought it would be in main church, so I didn't prepare for this. I'm going to stretch my neck and read it. Okay, it says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasure, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Colossians 3, please. Okay, but, get rid of, get, but now is the time to get rid of anger, of rage, of malicious, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Um, 1 Peter 2, yes. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. So those are the very obvious ways that we could leak these um, spiritual gains that we have gotten. For, for the sake of um, not being too vague, I will focus on the power to become. Even though there are so many, we've been told that we should rejoice. Have you realized that since we were told to rejoice this year, it seems like many things have started challenging us so that you will not rejoice. Okay. We were told yesterday that victory, my friend, come and see battle. Right? So now we've been told we have the power to become. So the obvious ones are these ones. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, hypocrisy, and so on. Deceit, lust, all, and so forth. Fornication, I heart, Adultery, stealing, cheating, lying, bribe. All together. But against these things, we have been trained. Right? We've been trained to spot them. So you can easily spot them. So, unless you are on a mission to deliberately wreck your faith, I would say 
you stand the chance of either fleeing or resisting the devil when it comes to things that are as pronounced as this. At least I, I don't really know. I don't really think there's anyone in God's house that will just go out and say, you know, I'm going to get drunk today. I've had a wonderful time at tribe. Time to go get drunk. I don't know. Or you know what? The message that was talked about today was so stirring. I might as well just go murder someone. I don't really know of anyone like that. Really. Yeah. You know, so seriously, if amongst us here is still someone convert, converting sort of adultery or fornication or witchcraft, things like that, you, you really might want to have a one-on-one session on counseling because I think if you were here for the season and you interacted with us with that covering, that thing should have actually left you alone. But if it doesn't left you alone, then that, that, that means there's a deep-rooted curse and God can still break it with deliberate counseling in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, failure to do that means you're, you're planning to truncate your destiny. So what we'll focus tonight are the more subtle things, the things that are, you know, easy to miss, you know, even though you're serious about securing the advantage. So the first one straight away, the first leakage that we'd like to talk about is a tongue that can't stay silent. A tongue that just wants to talk. You can literally yap away all that God has deposited in you. No wonder pastor usually will tell us on a Friday after the video penultimate today, God will do that. You know what? Try not to say, I mean, don't talk less. Talk less because he knows that you can actually talk away with all the power that you have received. Talk less. You know? And I remember when we got pregnant with our first son almost four years ago now. We, we had had a tough season. We had waited, trusted God. It seemed like the baby was not going to come. As in, my wife wasn't going to get pregnant. All kinds of things flying through our head. One of my cousins actually told me, you sure say you're not the impotent, so, you know, jokingly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> different kinds of stuff. Time will not permit me to go into all of them. But the most important thing was this. When we got pregnant after the Ebenezer program, we came to pastor with excitement. And pastor says one thing. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> tell anyone. I can remember my wife being so distraught, like, she won't tell her mom who's going to help her, it's my first baby, and so on and so forth. But we obeyed, and we didn't tell anyone. But the interesting part was that God made it his own point of duty to tell it to the people that he wanted to tell it to. What I'm saying is that my mom had a revelation about the baby, even though we didn't tell her. Our mom had a revelation about the baby, even though we didn't tell her. Our grandmom, which she was very close to and was, I mean, had a wonderful relationship with God, had a revelation about the baby, but the, all the other people didn't have. I can remember when the baby was born and I called certain people and I said, my wife has just given birth. Like, what? When did she even get pregnant? But you see, after the baby was born, we went through series of battles and I was saying to myself that, hmm, I can imagine if I had actually told this one that we didn't even tell. We had this much battles. What if we are told? But I'm glad that looking back now, I'm glad that we actually kept our tongue, that we held our tongue. Because I really don't know the other things that we averted by holding our tongue in obedience. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 28, the voice version says, even a fool, when he keeps quiet, is considered wise. For when he keeps his mouth shut, he appears clever. Proverbs 10, 19 says, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. And the voice version puts it this way. The more you talk, the more likely you will cross the line and say wrong things, 
But if you are wise, you will speak less and with restraint. So keep your mouth shut. Lessen the way you use your tongue. Use your tongue constructively. And God will help us in Jesus' name. So the second thing that I think is more subtle that could actually cause us to lose those gains is when we lessen the value of the spiritual gain. Most times this can happen unintentionally. We have been taught that until we see the beauty and I dare say the value of the greater, you can't turn away from the lesser. Pastor taught us that. Until you see the beauty of the greater, you can't turn away from the lesser. So we, we, when you turn to God, we're actually appreciating the value of God. But you find out that sometimes we unintentionally depreciate the value of some things. So we can depreciate the value of anything. And when you depreciate the value of anything, it becomes easier to ignore that thing and neglect that thing. You can put that on anything. You can put it on relationships. When you depreciate the value of relationships, you neglect them. You can put it on your possessions. If you buy a new car today, and after a while, the car becomes less valuable to you, you begin to misuse the car. So places where you would, you know, drive the car with one, almost want to back the car. You know, have you seen people want to back their cars? Oh, yes. If you see some people in some bad spots, they want to just literally carry the car on their back. But you find out that when you have less value, you just drive it through. You don't care. You can, you can put that on even, even money when it seems like you have, it comes easy for you. You begin to depreciate the value of, of money. New things are usually of high, higher value when we have them. The longer we have them, the greater the risk of actually taking them for granted and depreciating them. So people take their freedom, they take their relationships, their family, their marriage, and even their faith for granted. We usually have the mindset that these things will be around, so no shaking. It's like a couple that are both saved, you know, and they're a conservative couple, but, you know, they feel like, well, because we're conservative, I don't need to pray and cover my wife, or I don't need to cover my husband. I trust him. He can just go. In fact, we don't need intimacy, you know, as spirit-filled people. <laughs> they're depreciating the value of that relationship because someday... A miniskirt will steal that man from you. Or a honky man will steal that woman from you. I don't need to go to the gym, you know. She probably likes my love handles. <laughs> That's a fat lie. A big fat lie. So same goes for our faith in God. When you depreciate your faith in God, it begins to lose its day-to-day -day value. So imagine if... Um, the, the patriarchs or the matriarchs from old didn't write the scriptures. You won't value the scripture today. Imagine if, I mean, so when you come to a powerful service, or even right now, you should take down notes, I think. You should make some form of mental note. Put down something you can refer to so that tomorrow, when you engage with that thing, it's like a refresher, like we said, and it helps you value it more. But if you don't know it, you cannot value it because pastor says that he, asks, he usually asks God one word for the, for the year, right? And the Lord will give him one year. And he writes it down so he can, he can crunch on it. So what you don't have before you, chances are that you would, you would devalue that thing. So along with everything else, we have depreciated the power to become in this. I mean, using the power to become as an instance, if we don't value it and keep it in, right before your eyeballs or your mindset every time, it becomes 
one other rhetoric amongst a list of rhetorics, and it begin, we begin to fail in our efforts in securing the advantage as it, as it concerns the power to become, become complacent and even lose the buzz, so to speak. So you find out that a God you do think a service has come, you cut the balls with your excitement, but after a while it begins to dwindle. And after it dwindles, you forget it. And then you wait for another God with it again service. You get excited again. And after a while, because you're not engaging it, it begins to dwindle again. And then you wait for another God. Come on. How long are you going to continue that way? Praise the Lord. So the third thing is that people entertain what I like to call the hidden pride. You see, scientists say that Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar suffered, I mean, that disease or that, <laughs> they call it a disease. No scientists are very smart. Now, that thing that he suffered in Daniel 4 is termed Boan Trophy. Boan Trophy. They gave it a name. That's the, the, the disease that causes man to want to eat grass like an animal. You know, but... I would call it, uh, we all know that it was as a result of Nebuchadnezzar's pride. But that pride is easier to spot. But there's, there's a certain kind of pride that is more difficult to spot, and that is the hidden pride. The hidden pride, and that's what we'll talk about now. It's deadlier than the loud one, and it comes in different forms. The first one is fault finding. So if you're writing fault finding, why the loud pride will cause us to filter out the evil that is inherent in a, inherent in a proud person, the, the more subtle one, you know, will cause them to filter out in, in God's goodness in others. So they, they see faults in the perception of people. Rather than see the, the good in people, they, they see the faults. You know, another indicator is when they hear a teaching like this. So right, when the Holy Spirit is doing a, a heart surgery for the person when he's hearing the teaching, but the person is thinking about, you know what, my husband should be hearing this message, or my wife should be hearing this message, or that, that, that very stubborn boy, that colleague should be hearing this message, but the message actually is for you, really, first and foremost for you. God is doing a heart surgery for you before the other person, but you know, you, you know, you know better because <laughs> you know the person better than themselves, so you're saying, is that message is for that person. Basically, we're, we're busy doing the hard check for other people at the detriment of our own fault finding. The second one is a mean or harsh spirit where the brother or sister speaks of the sins and misdeeds of another with so much contempt, irritation, exasperation, frustration, even judgment. They hardly see redemption. They only know the God of justice. But the God of redemption is not, you know, they don't, is fire for fire anytime. A good example is Simon's reaction to the woman, um, the, the alabaster jar woman, like I like to call her. This event is recorded in three Gospels, in Matthew 26, Mark 14. But I like the account of Luke 7. It says from 39 that when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon, I have something to say to you about this, your thoughts. 
about this, your holier than thou thoughts. I remember one time I was talking to um, uh, Pastor Dami, and she said something that, you know, it was just in passing, not like we're in a teaching session, but it's, it's stuck since that day, and I don't take it for granted. She said, the person you are reporting to God, you have forgotten that that person is a son or a daughter of God, and that person too has the ability to report you to God. So you are reporting the reporter. Because you feel that you have more legitimacy to God. But I'm not saying it's wrong to report someone to God. No, of course, if you can, I'd rather take it to God than take it to any man. You know, but the, what I'm saying is that pay attention to your heart when reporting someone to God. Pay attention to your own shortcomings. Why are you reporting that person to God? Is it something that you could actually have resolved on your own? Or what are you saying to God in terms of resolving that thing? So change your heart attitude and preserve your spiritual gain. The third thing is shallow or superficial person. When you're shallow or superficial, when you focus on the surface, we struggle with the sins that influences other people's opinion about us. But we don't care about the sins that no one knows about us, the ones that the Holy Spirit nudges us about when we are alone with him. And guess what? When he nudges you about it in private long enough, (laughs) he will expose you in public about that same sin. And when he exposes you in public about that sin, most times it's even more embarrassing. Many times when the Holy Spirit exposes people about things that is not them about in public, in private, because of that hidden pride, even causes some of them to want to backslide. Some of them, even if it's a church, they might say, you know what, I'm not going back to that church. If it's a community, they want to withdraw from the community. But what you don't know is that you're setting yourself up because the enemy isolates you to destroy you. Like I said to a group of people one time, one night when my friend said, misery loves company. The one in misery loves company. When he doesn't see anyone to accompany him through all kinds of tantrum. So am I saying people don't have genuine reasons to withdraw from certain kind of communities? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that why are you withdrawing from that community? Couldn't you have been able to seek conflict resolution in that community or in that church? Or maybe. Maybe it's the enemy trying to take you from where God has planted you. So have you ignored the private nudging of the Holy Spirit? Expect the public embarrassment if you have. The fourth one is a rigid or unyielding spirit. Humility is not thrown into defense mode when challenged or rebuked. True humility continues to thrive in doing good works, even under immense conditions, even under immense challenge, even when they are being attacked. True humility continues to thrive in doing good works because true humility knows that God alone can vindicate me. When life throws you a curveball, how do you respond? When Satan attacks you, even sometimes through the brethren in quotes, you know, some brethren can give themselves a way to errant spirit. When Satan attacks 
How do you respond? An author called Jonathan Edwards, he puts it this way. He said, for the humble Christian, the more the world is against him, the more silent and still he will be, unless it is in his prayer closet, and there he will not be still. So in his prayer closet, that guy will cry out to God. But when you want to see that, humil- that so-called humility, that's not humility, you, 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 sort of, you just feel the need to want to respond. I should, I should have told him this. I should have told him that. I'm saying you don't have a response for everything. The Bible says that the Lord will fight for you and what? And you hold your peace. Hallelujah. The fifth one is being selective. Selectiveness. Pride has preferences. The subtle pride has preferences when it comes to people. It has preferred relationships. It's able to relate more with these people. You know, have you heard that? I can relate more with these people. I'm saying I can relate with all men. You can find me around a madman. You can find me around a beggar. Honestly, I'm saying that. Maybe because of the way I was brought up. But I was brought up to interact with all kinds of people. So I'm not saying I'm the most humble person, but it was just something I just learned. I don't know how I learned it. Maybe because I grew up in a house of all boys. So I can interact with anybody, find myself in any, anywhere. With the filthy, with the clean, with the rich, with the poor, with the dirty. With... Let's just bring it on. Let's go. So in some cases, pride forms cliques unknowingly. You know, you, I like that brother in church. I don't really like that guy. I like that sister. That sister is so warm. I'm saying, if you want, to, if you want a friend, go out and be a friend. If you want love, go out and love somebody. If you want warmth, go out and hug somebody. And you will get warmth. Praise the Lord. So, the subtle pride has so filtered out people that, that some other people can't... Fi- they, they, they blurred the line between the reality of what God actually says. And that is for us to love completely. So, they blurred the line of that genuine love. This character gives attention you know, honor and more credence to only certain kinds of people. So a good example is that, I, that of, of subtle pride will be the guy in Second Kings verse 5. That's Naaman or N- however you call him. You know the name. He had a slave girl, what you would call house up these days. You know, but the scripture says that when the girl gave him an advice, he took the advice. But you see that this man still saw himself in a hallowed position because if he didn't see himself in a hallowed position, how come he was offended when Elisha didn't come out? He said, so this guy could not even come out and come and address me, oh, general of the Syrian army. And then he says, I should go and dip myself into that stinking Jordan River. What about rivers in Damascus? What about rivers in Parfa? What about rivers in Abana? He was talking about those beautiful seas. And this guy said, I should go and dip myself in this field to Jordan. But well, thank God he had good counsel. They, they prevailed over him, went to dip himself. And he was, the Bible says his skin was like that of a baby's. That of babies. His superiority complex kicked in. But one thing I need to appreciate about that man is the fact that he took counsel from his house help. What about us? You know, there's something that strikes me about pastor, something that... I don't know if he does it. I, the pastor is very deliberate. So. You can never hear a pastor call anybody that works with him. My this, my dad. He says, my colleagues. My colleagues. And I've, I've learned to adopt that. 
So imagine someone calls church office for the first time, pastor picks up the phone, hello, he says, I want to see you, pastor. He says, you know what, my colleague Tolu will attend to you. What does the person think? The person already knows about an Olufemi Monet, right? Coming to engage an Olufemi Monet, but in, he says, a Tolu will see you. The person doesn't know who Tolu is. So the person expects to see someone at par, isn't it? Of a, of a Olufemi Monet, and then when he comes, he sees one, one Tolu, he says, welcome. And of course, the counsel of the Lord is upon every one of us. What am I trying to say here? I'm not saying people that say, my houseboy, my, my this, my, my drive. I'm not saying it's, I'm not casting aspersions upon you. I'm just saying, you just want to check your heart. Whatever it is that leads in to take that stand, it, it's deliberate. How do you call, I've heard people say, my boy, my girl. <laughs> yes, we know. Really. We know it's your staff. But I kind of like that my colleague sort of, if the person even hears you say, my colleague, imagine what you would do to them. So I won't use the name. I was somewhere someday, you know, just hanging out with an older person. And he picks up, a call came in and he picks up and he says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm here with my friend. My, my goodness, you don't know what that did to me. Because in age, we're not age mates. In stratification, even spiritually, we're not on the same level, really. But he says, my friend. He didn't know, but I left there saying, ah, this guy called me friend now. <laughs> and, uh, ah. I'm his friend. I don't know about you. <laughs> so, the point is about giving attention to your heart, really. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, verse 17, respect everyone and love the family of believers. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Also in Psalm 139, 23, and 24, the God's Word version says, Examine me, O God, and know my mind. Test me and know my thoughts. See whether I am on an evil path. Then lead me onto the everlasting path. So, now that I know these things, what are my action pen? What are my action points? What do I do next? It's a call to holy living. No compromise. No compromise. Kiss compromise goodbye. Tell yourself that no more compromise. I'd like us to read Psalm 15 together. Psalm 15 together, please. If you put up that scripture, Psalm 15. I have it here and I will read it. But before I read it, the NKJV has a subheader for Psalm 15. It says that the, it says this is the character of those who dwell with the Lord. That's the subheader. You know, some scriptures, before it starts, you put a subheader on top of it. This is the character of those who dwell with the Lord. That's the NKJV. The voice version's subheader says, a recurring theme in the psalm is the dwelling place of God and its importance in worship. This Davidic psalm considers the moral qualities of the person who wishes to approach God. So I'd like us to read the voice version of Psalm 15. I read it because I have the voice version. It says, Eternal One, I'd have loved us to read together if we had the voice version. Anyway, I read it. It says, Eternal One, you could follow up on this one. Who is invited to stay in your dwelling? Who is granted passage to your holy mountain? Here is the answer. The one who lives with integrity, does what is right, and speaks honestly with truth from the heart. 
The one who doesn't speak evil against others or wrong his neighbor or slander his friends. The one who's, who loathes the loathsome honors those who fear the eternal, that's the Lord, and keeps all promises no matter the cost. The one who does not lend money with gain in mind and cannot be bought to harm an innocent name. If you live this way, you will not be shaken and will live together with the Lord. Tough, right? But if it's in the scripture, it's possible. Again, Psalm 24 that we love to read. You know, when it gets to Psalm to verse 5 of that scripture, you see us bouncing. <laughs> Lift up your heads, so you get. And be lifted up because, you know, it reminds us of the time when God was glorious over the kingdom of darkness. And be lifted up, you everlasting dust. That the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king? You know what? Bringing down. <laughs> but if you have forgotten that you passed through verse 3 and verse 4. I read it. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands. And a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. So the next time you think about that scripture, before you get to verse five, make sure that you are right with verse three and verse four. It's a call to holy living, no compromise. Our anchor scripture for the God we did again service was Acts one six to eight, and that we have received the power to be witnesses. We we'll only be effective witnesses if we are Christ-like. And the Christ-like life is not the holier-than-thou life. The Christ-like life is the holy life. Where we become husbands and fathers, we have been made to be, according to the pastor, not sperm donors. Where the definition of a woman's beauty is as it is in 1 Peter 3, Verse 3 to 4. I like to read that scripture because it blows my mind anytime I read it. First Peter 3, verse 3 to 4. It says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging your hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. I'm not saying Brazilian hair is bad. I'm not saying your gold is bad. I'm saying, let it correspond with your heart. For the men, don't be a sperm donor, like Pastor put it. If you read um, what's that scripture now that talks about um, the bishop, what the bishop should be like. First Timothy 3, yes, what the bishop should be like. Or our children, the Bible calls them the olive plants surrounding our tables in Psalm 128. In, in Psalm 127, it says they're like arrows in the hands of a warrior. So we are called to be all the Lord wants us to be. But these things are not attained just like that. It's not just by hearing, it's by application. So the main distinguishing factor between righteous living and the holy living is that while the righteous is imputed in Christ Jesus, the holiness the only part of, the, of that equation is cultivated. You need to cultivate an attitude of holiness. We must be deliberate. And that takes us to the next thing. The next action step is that we must be deliberate. Deliberate about what? Deliberate about the word of prophecies. The words you heard here. Deliberate about the teachings, the admonitions that was with this season. But I cannot remember. Download them for free. 
get the CDs, engage them over and over again. Get the free CDs on the, or the, the message on the step up, the build up to the God we do it again service, the message on the power to become, engage it, be deliberate about it, listen to it over and over, over again. Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So if you deliberately engage it over and again, you are driving it in, into your system. So First Thessalonians 5, verse 9 to 18 says, Never damp the fire of the Spirit. Never despise what is spoken in the name of the Lord. By all means, use your judgment and hold on to whatever is really good. Don't damp that fire. Keep the fire burning. Hallelujah. Number three, the first one says that we need to consistently revere God and give him thanks. Do the opposite of what Nebuchadnezzar did. When you find that God has answered your prayers, testify. Give him the glory. Hallelujah. Rejoice in him. Like Pastor Bemigo taught us, Pastor Bemigo taught us last weekend. She said that, you know, there's a new challenge for every new level. So, after Mara, after, sorry, after the Red Sea victory comes the Mara. So, just three days after the Israelites got victory in the Red Sea, Mara came. At that point in time, what should you be found doing? Rejoicing, thanking God. I'm not saying thank God that, thank God for this bitter water. No. Thank God that you are coming through. You know, I remember just my own personal Mara experience was just two days after the God taking service, or three days, my little son began to run a temperature, you know, and cough and was cranky. My, our first impulse as his parents, what we usually would do, we'll take them to the clinic, they'll do a test, they'll tell us it's bacteria, they'll give them a shot, no, they'll give, they'll give them some medication. That entire trip always would cost us about 20, 20 something thousand naira. So I said to myself that this time, I ain't paying this money no more. <laughs> so I don't know if it was the money, was the application of the faith, but I was irritated by it. So while my wife was a bit flustered, I already knew back on my mind that nothing would have put me to the hospital this time. And I took it to God. Day one, day two, the boy was better. But guess what? Just when I began to celebrate the older one too, on Saturday, on Friday evening, it too started cold. Um, temperature, his own, and his own was worse than, I said, no, I'm not going to this hospital. Long and short, we didn't go to the hospital. God healed both of them. And I was thinking to myself just earlier when I was preparing that if I, I couldn't have really gone and have, at least for both of them, that's about 50k. Then it would have been this. My point is that breaking that cycle was important to me. I don't want to go back there every time for bacteria. And I'm saying if God says that we'll take poison, nothing will happen to us, we'll trample on that serpent. What is bacteria? Ah, praise the Lord. The fourth one, and the last one, beware of the accuser in person. See that guy? That's totally leaked. Beware of the accuser in person. They are energy dissipators. Look out for people that appear, address you like we're about to see. Daniel 6, people that address you like this. Daniel 6, it says, Then they told the king, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. That man, 
Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, even after so many years, this man had performed and had earned his name in the land. But yet, in fact, the king had promoted him to be amongst these two people reporting him. In fact, to even make him their, make, make him their supervisor. But they are still referring to him. They are trying to tie him to slavery. That man, that slave from Judah. They are trying to remind him of his past. Or the circumstances by which he got to where he was. Beware of such people. They're usually, oh, oh, none of us is such person. They're usually around us. These people say things like, you're the so-called pastor, or so-called minister, or so-called Christian. In fact, you hear husband say, so-called wife, or so-called husband. Just because you don't conform to their ideals, beware. When you're around them, even though you have got their food, you find out that they, they sap out they almost sap out all the positivity in you. So if you got there with your tail up, you lick there with your tail between your legs like a defeated dog. They sometimes show up as naysayers. Their words can either be aggressive or subtle. Depends on their mood. But like Pastor Bemigo put it down on an assignment. They never forget their assignments. Sometimes they don't even know what their assignment is. But because they've yielded themselves to that part of the, the, the devil's ministry, so to speak. They are on a persistent assignment. And they, <laughs> they, they will even tell you things like, God even knows my heart. But they are on an assignment. They always cast gloom on a bright situation. You know of such people? Their words can be cantankerous, with a lot of vile on their tongue. By the time they are done with you, <laughs> you will begin to doubt if you are even born again sometimes. <laughs> I pray there's no one like that here. And even if there's someone like that, the Lord is still able to deliver you in Jesus' name. The sad part is that these people, like I said, don't even know that they are accusers. They don't realize that they view themselves to be tools. So if everybody around you Starts to adjust anytime you step into the room. It's either of two things. What does it mean when people around you adjust when we walk in the room? Well, our time is fast spent. We have just four minutes left, I think. So I'd have loved to throw this question to the to the to the congregation. What does it mean when you walk into a room when and people start to adjust around you? What do you think it means? Anyone to just give us a brief opinion before we continue? What does it mean when people begin to adjust around you? Anyone wants to share something real quick? Real quick, real quick. Okay. Okay, that's okay. Walk into a room and people are just <laughs> adjusting. What do you think it means? Praise God. Hallelujah. I think it means that... Um, you, you change the standard in the room. Now, when I mean change the standard, it could be both ways. It could be that you are increasing the bar or you are bringing the bar down. But either way, you are not, you are not at the same level at what is there. So they have to adjust to you. As Christians, we should actually be increasing the bar. But if we are in a situation where we go into a place and we're dropping the bar, we need to 
check ourselves. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for that. With that, I'm going to, I mean, I've taken that as an added raising of the bar. But I put down two things. I said the first one is that you're among the wrong crowd. So like Pastor K said, you're either adjusting the bar or you're decreasing the standard of that place. Either ways, you're among, crowd, among the wrong crowd. Either you could be among the wrong crowd when they're adjusting around, around you. Or you need to check yourself. Maybe you don't need to be among that crowd. Or maybe you need to increase the standard of that crowd. Or you need to check yourself that you are not reducing the standard. Or you're making them susup about you for the wrong reasons. So if you find yourself among such people that are adjusting every time you step into a room, you should be deliberate about how to respond to them. Otherwise, you'll be sucked in. Deliberate. Tell yourself, like Pastor Kaya said, I would increase the bar in this place. Or if I feel that they are too negative for me, I withdraw from this place. You can't withdraw from that place. Remember, the Bible says in verse 23 of that scripture, Daniel 6, that the king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. So not a scratch was found on Daniel because God vindicated Daniel. So there's, the truth is that there's no adversary that cannot be overcome with a good character. None. No adversary. The good character will always prevail. Praise the Lord. So the last thing is, we need to stay with the theme and keep applying it. And I said, if symptoms persist after two days, consult the doctor. That's God. I mean, just on a lighter note, keep applying it. Apply it. Apply it. Power to become applied. I remember some time ago, one of those days when I was just in a particular mood, and I felt the Lord admonishing me. Was, he helped me understand that my expressions in him was different. As you stop worrying about what somebody else is doing or what, how somebody else is getting it. Clearly, like I can hear myself, my expressions with you is different and that totally set me free. You know, it was like, for me, it was like a David using the armor of a Saul. God was saying to me that it will not fit. So I, I better just be myself and adorn the armor he has given to me. That will fit perfectly. So we believe that we receive the power to become you may as well scribble it and place it on the wall. I have, where I, where I re- withdraw to, to have my time with God, I have a whole lot of notes pasted on the wall. Not because I like to make the note fancy like a scrap wall, but because every time I'm in that place and I just look up, I could see that one tells me something. I could see this one tells me. So imagine if you had stocks on part to become paste everywhere. Or maybe on your phone, you set a reminder. Every time. See, that guy is completely different now. He can't even stand. It's gone. Or your phone, a reminder that God has given you the power to become. Just put it somewhere where you can interact with it every time. Find original ways for yourself where you can interact and apply this word of power to become or step up every time. And you find out that the enemy will never take you unawares. 
to hold on to this advantage God has returned to us, we must return, has given to us, we must return back to the basics. And the scripture says in Revelation 2 from verse 4, but I have this complaint about you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from amongst the church. I pray that God will not come and remove our lampstand in Jesus' name. You see, the fact is that if you back up to verse 2 of that scripture, God wasn't talking to a people that were not saved. He was talking to a vibrant church. And I read, it says, I know your deeds. You tirelessly labor and your patient endurance is known. I know you do not tolerate those who do evil. Furthermore, you have diligently tested those who claim to be emissaries. And you have found out that they are not true witnesses. You have correctly found them to be false. So God was talking to a church that, for lack of a better word, they knew themselves. But one ingredient was missing. And that ingredient is love. It was missing. And because it was not in the equation, they were, disqual- they were not qualified. And Jesus had this complaint about them. That complaint about them. Romans 12, we won't read it from 9 to 21. But I like verse 9. It says, don't pretend like you love people. Really love them. You, you see from that, verse, that chapter, I mean, that, those verses of scripture, that love is a deliberate thing. It is hard work, but its gains are far-reaching. God is asking us. It's, like it's commanding us today. That after all these things, if you really want to keep the advantage I've given to you as a church, love people and love me. Love people and really love me. Don't pretend to love people. Genuinely love them. I'll close with this. Um, I don't know if it's a story now. I remember counseling a man that was having challenges with his wife at the time, sometime last year. And he kept on and on and on and on and on and on about his mother in law. And I looked at this man, I just felt the spirit, this scripture. <laughs> And I told him that you want to really take out this your mother-in-law. He said yes. And I opened the Bible to Romans 12. And I read 19 and 20 to him. Maybe I read it. And it says, Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will do what? Heap burning coals of shame on their head. The guy's eyes pop like this. I say, yes. So, if you are really tired of this woman and you want to take her out, just do this. But guess what? I'm not sure he did it. But that relationship from that day, I think, was healed. Because the fact that when God starts to deal with the woman, you'll be the one to even beg him to stop. Why you know someone that really has a mean spirit? When God is dealing with the person, the person says, more. <laughs> no. Love people. Love will break even the hardest of defenses in Jesus' name. So let's bow down our hearts. Let's bow down our heads. We've heard this teaching. 
probably have heard things similar to this before. You probably have gained a lot in the past and you've not lost it. Hallelujah. But if you know that you gained and it seems like you're not as fired up as you were, maybe you want to go back and interact with these notes and check and see where you may be lacking and ask the Lord to help you in those areas. Or if you're here and you never even, you can't even talk about an advantage because you know you're totally disadvantaged because you don't even know this God. How can I have an advantage with someone I don't even know? How can I receive from someone I don't even, even know? How can I even love someone that I never really cared about? You don't have a relationship with God. Today is a good day for you to begin that relationship with him. So that you can get lots of spiritual gain. So you won't be like the, the empty cup we already have here. You will have something inside of you. You won't be leaking and the Lord will continue to add unto you. With a show of hands, just put up your hands and we will pray with you. We will pray with you and, and welcome you into God's great big loving family. If there's anyone here that's saying to the Lord that, Lord, I want to turn my heart to you. Just put up your, slip up your hand to heaven yourself. And cry out to God, the God of salvation, to stretch forth his hands and touch you. Father, we bless you. We thank you, Lord, the giver of life. Thank you, Lord, for all you have done for us. Thank you for every advantage you are giving to us, Lord. Thank you for the spiritual gains you have released to us as a church. We ask that that which you are doing in our lives will be permanent, our Father. Thank you, faithful God. In Jesus' glorious name, we are prayed. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, there's a part for commit, and then we will take any questions real quickly, if we have. So with your own hands, you're going to write it down as a way of commitment as well. You're going to say, Father, or write, Father, I clothe myself with newness. It should be on the screen. I'm remolded and renewed in a fuller and more perfect knowledge of you, my creator. That's Colossians 3.10. Say, Father, I clothe myself with newness. I'm remolded and renewed in fuller and more perfect knowledge of you, my creator. And you can even turn into a prayer. Let's just talk to him about it. And just say that I commit to being deliberate about my work for you and my work with you, Lord. I clothe myself with newness, Father. I ask that your love would permeate every bit of my being. And help me to hold on to the advantage you have given to me, Father. Thank you, faithful God. For in Jesus' matchless name, we have prayed. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. Any questions? Any questions? Any questions? Any questions? 
Okay, if there are no questions. So when we started, this cup was full. Where well, he leaked out the old advantage. Where well, you see that this man is still full. And that guy is still half full. But with interactions like this, doing tribe and follow-up services, I believe this guy can become full, full. This man will stay full. And if you apply what we've learned today, you could actually plug this leakage and be restored to fullness. And God will help us in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you.